We're going to have a, a time of prayer now for our pastoral prayer moment in the sermon. And uh, uh, Noah did mention, I forgot to, to, to say this in the first hour, uh, the kids raised over $600 for Destiny Village. Yeah. Uh, we support an orphanage uh, called Destiny Village in Haiti, and uh, they raised all that for them. And what a blessing uh, to continue that ministry effort there. Uh, we each month at Northwest Chapel have a prayer emphasis, and this, this month's emphasis is on youth and children. And, of course, we've been praying hard for this past week of BBX, and God really blessed us here. And in just a few days, uh, a group of our uh, youth leaders and teenagers are going to be going to Greece on an unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime mission trip. And so we'll be praying for them as well. As we continue to do that, we also lift up a local church in our community. We pray for uh, a foreign country and a persecuted church uh, in, a, in a specific country. So at this time, would you please bow your heads and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are so grateful for the way that you have blessed us. We can see your hand and Lord, help us to see when we don't see your hand and know that you are working in our lives. We are so grateful for the goodness that we enjoy in this life uh, by you. And Lord, especially on this Father's Day, we are thankful for our earthly fathers, but we also look to you as our heavenly Father and praise you for who you are and what you mean to us. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for a fantastic week at BBX and the lives that were touched and transformed as a part of that ministry. We pray for the youth as they travel to Greece in just a few days and pray that you would go ahead of them and prepare hearts to hear the gospel and as they serve there and experience uh, an amazing journey uh, from where our biblical roots come from. Lord, we just uh, pray for that trip. We lift up our, a local church, Dublin Baptist Church. We pray for you to bless them. We pray for our president, our governor, and our state officials. We lift up New Zealand and pray for that foreign country. And we also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Oman. And Lord, in a world where Christianity is not celebrated in every country and certainly not supported, we pray for those who are standing strong in the faith in that country. And we pray that you would sustain them by your Holy Spirit and by your word. Lord, we bring all of these things to you knowing that you hear us and that you respond. You are an awesome God and we worship you today in this way, through prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Father's Day again to all of the dads out there. And, and I said this last year, and I'll, I will say it again, you don't have to be a father to express a father's love. If you have had influence over anyone, if you have led someone and encouraged someone and blessed someone by God's hand, we thank you for that. We are a church that believes in service, and faith that leads to action. And so as the clipboards had gone back, hopefully you had a chance to consider jumping into those uh, evangelism outings. You can jump into any one of our life groups, our focus groups, and to get involved here. Well, what a great day to celebrate Father's Day. The weather seems to be about perfect. I'm excited about what follows this service because it rhymes with lunch. And so I'm excited about that. Um, 
I am blessed to have four children and one amazing grandchild. And man, I pray that you would be blessed today. And it's tough to be a man today and especially hard as a dad. But if we think about the man's role in this world, it's tough, right? Lots of responsibilities, lots of things to understand and how to live in today's tricky culture. Some of you females in this room don't know about the law, the man law. There is a man law. It's unwritten, but fully observed in this world. Men, there's no need to discuss it. We inherently know the man law. I'll give you a few examples. Under no circumstances may two men share an umbrella, no matter how big it is. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. On a road trip, we all know this to be true. The strongest bladder determines the pit stops. Amen. Friends don't let friends wear Speedos. Ever. Case closed. Thou shalt not buy a car in the colors of brown, pink, lime green, orange, or sky blue. All groceries must go from the vehicle to the house in one trip, no matter how many bags there are. And if a brother helped you move, you are compelled by law to reciprocate. Amen. Never order a sloppy joe on the first date. And men don't hug, but if they do, only one arm may be used. Last but not least, this one goes out to all of us, especially those who are married. If something we said can be interpreted two ways, and one of those ways made you sad or angry, we meant the other one. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> there are approximately 74 million men in the United States. Seven, uh, uh, 2.6 million are single dads. Genetically, all mammals more closely resemble their father than their mother. And highly involved dads have children that have increased mental dexterity, empathy, and greater self-control. Dads who play and roughhouse with their kids, they, these kids foster better emotional intelligence, memory, learning, moral, and ethics. Men have become more likely in this country than women to change careers, decline pay raises, and move to better suit their family's needs. Now at the opposite end of the spectrum, effects on children we know that 33% live at home without their birth father. And 71% of dropouts come from a fatherless home. Children are more likely to act out, get into trouble, do poorer in school when dad is not around. If a father does not go to church, even if the wife does, only one in 50 will become a regular worshiper. But if the father attends, that number jumps to 30 or more. Statistics show that when a father attends church regularly, there is an 85% chance that his spouse and children will attend as well. When only the wife attends, no matter how often, that percentage only reaches 15%. A 26-year study showed involved fathers were the primary factor in developing empathy in their children. 
And a recent survey found that if a child is the first person in their household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% chance the rest of the family will follow. If the mom is saved first, then that number jumps to 17%. But when dad steps up and makes a decision, you ready for this? There is a 93% chance that the rest will follow him. Man, that's huge. So what am I saying? A father's involvement in his family along with his faith is critical and has an incredibly positive impact on the faith and practice of his family. Happy Father's Day to all of you. We thank God for you, for those men who have demonstrated what a father's love looks like. And we certainly praise our Heavenly Father for who he is and what he means to us. Well, today's message is called The Way Back Home. It tells the story of a father who had two sons, but before we get to that passage, the first 10 verses of Luke 15 share a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin, and we'll be picking it up with the story of the lost son, the prodigal. So we're in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to both of them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. It goes on to say that after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the land and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. And heaven in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Praise God. When we consider God and his kingdom, we can know this very simple truth. In his kingdom, we get what we don't deserve, and we don't get what we do deserve. These three stories prove one point. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. 
It relates to a converted life. It relates to a father's love. And in each of these three stories, when what was lost is then found, there is a great celebration. If you recall the, the man who had 100 sheep and lost one, he left the 99 to search for the one. And when he found it, he invited his friends and neighbors to celebrate with him. It was a communal celebration in, once, in what was lost being found. And the woman who had lost the coin, she turns her house upside down to find that coin. And when she does, she sits on her couch quietly and doesn't do anything. No, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, come celebrate, rejoice with me, for I have found this lost coin. And here in the story of the prodigal son, even when he was a long way off, the father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to him, hugged him and kissed him, and threw a party. Praise God. Now, it says that the father gave his estate to both his sons. So the younger brother asked for it, while his other brother did not. But the father split up his wealth, divided his assets among them. But it was the younger son, the prodigal, that took all of that and wandered off in squandering it in foolish living. Now, we all know what it means to be prodigal, sometimes better than others, but not all of us know what it means to belong and come home from that prodigalness, which is not a word, by the way, but you understand my point, our prodigalness. God created a very special place for us, and even when we know it, we often find ourselves wandering away from that truth and that knowledge. And once we wander off, we lose sight of perspective, we lose sight of reality, and we lose our own identity. Things go from bad to worse, and if there was only a way back, there is. Okay, it's time to play a little game. It's called uh, Name That Band. I'll give you some clues. Glenn Fry. Okay, yeah. I didn't need to go further than that. I could have said Don Henley. Okay. Yes, the Eagles. Now it's time to sing with Pastor Marty. Desperado. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, you know the song Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses? Takes me right to the passage in Luke 15. You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. Anybody relate? <laughs> Just me? Okay. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you are going to hurt you somehow. I've always loved that song, and I've always been intrigued by that line, been out riding fences. Well, it's a farming metaphor. It's an illustration relating to choosing a task that takes you far from home to check the fences on the property lines to, you know, if you've got livestock or, or uh or other animals, you got to check those fences, make sure the boundaries are secure. You don't want to lose those animals. That was significant and very valuable. But it was a job that took you far from home, typically a job that was done in isolation and separation for an extended period of time. you got to make sure that perimeter is secure. But it also meant, and oftentimes, and especially the inference here, is that there was a conscious choice to separate and leave home. 
to squander, to waste away, to do your own thing, thinking you knew better. That's the prodigalness that we all understand in great and small ways. Being a prodigal, that verb, scorpizo, means to scatter or disperse. Now, a more radical approach to this carries it a little further to disintegrate and turn into powder or dust. In our prodigalness, and due to the fact that we were all, we were all born with it deep down in a very dark place in our hearts, born into sin, prone to wander, prone to be prodigals, that prodigalness leads us astray every single time. It's in those moments that we decide we know better than God, that we decide we know better than anyone else, and that we are getting what's due to us. In that moment, there is a level of spiritual blindness that shows up. Now, you've seen the FedEx logo? Now, for years, I I never knew this, and someone said, do you see the arrow? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Just because it's there, I mean, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It's been there the whole time. I never saw it until someone pointed it out. Well, guess what? That's the spiritual blindness that we have. Now, some people talk about male pattern baldness. Well, this might be considered male pattern blindness. I did a wedding yesterday. It was a fantastic wedding. And I used the word fantastic because I was relating to not only the location and the couple, but also their hair. They had fantastic hair, both of them. The bride, long brown hair, beautiful. And the groom, long curly black hair. And here I stood, this very bald man, in between the two of them. And I was a little envious and jealous of their hair. It's fantastic. Well, we're not talking about baldness anymore. I'm sorry. Let me get back to spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness relates to the fact that You are walking down a path that leads to destruction, but often we don't know it. Uh, There is a survey done with men. They took 50 men and set up a dinner, and they were seated at the table, and then their wives would ask them to go to the fridge to grab the uh, butter tray. They placed that butter tray front and center in the fridge, and a ridiculous number of the 50 men never saw the butter dish. It's a, it's a study. They've, they've proven this. There is this, I'm not sure, it's, I guess it's that male pattern blindness that we have. When, when I'm at home and I can't find something, my wife and I now have a joke. She goes, are you looking like a man? Or have you really looked for it? I can't tell you how many times, whether it's in the cupboard or the fridge or somewhere, I can't find it. <laughs> she opens it up and it's, it's right there. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And I'm here to tell you that that spiritual blindness exists in every single one of us. That prodigalness creeps into places that we don't realize. And when you are deceived, you don't know it. Right? That's the most obvious point of all. So, we don't know it, we don't see it, typically until we experience severe consequences. Many of us have to learn the hard way. Going back to those lyrics, oh, you're a hard one, but I know you got your reasons. The way back requires a number of steps, and here they are. Requires conviction. 
being convicted of sin and the attitude that comes with it. Being convinced of God's kingdom and, and of his love. And thirdly, being compelled to make your way back home. So there's this process being lost and found again. Being convicted. In verses 14 through 16, the son was convicted of the fact that he had it all. And he left home and squandered it. And now the sin and the consequences of that sin had got him in a bad way. And he longed to return. But he wasn't fully convinced that he could go back as a son. But he thought, maybe, just maybe, I could go back as a hired hand and my father might accept me. You see, we need to be convinced that God's kingdom is a kingdom that says, you get what you don't deserve and you don't get what you do deserve. Convinced of his amazing love for us that there is a way back no matter how far you run. And thirdly, you can know all that. You can be convicted and convinced, but unless you are compelled to act, to put your faith in action, you won't make your way home. By God's provision, and sometimes it's because he allows us to go through things that are very difficult, he gets through to us to open our eyes to see what we had not been seeing. You see, in that prodigalness, we are stuck in what we call a sinful state. And there's all kinds of layers to this sinful state. The first one is a spending state. It's not time well spent. It's wasted time spent. Perhaps through weekends of certain activities that dull your mind. It's also a wanting state. That prodigalness says, gimme, gimme, gimme. I need, I need, I need. It brings out the worst in us. Selfishness, greed, conceit. We think we deserve all this. And it affects our perspective. It's also a slavish state where we experience constant discontent and bondage to sinful desires. And many, many of us know what that means. Those things that are pleasing you are going to hurt you somehow. Maybe not today, but those consequences will come. This slavish state leads us into bad habits. It robs us of joy, holds us down with no hope. Finally, it's a deathly state. There's no hope. There's no joy. And there's no life. It's a desperation that can lead to a tragic end, perhaps even suicidal thoughts, dark places in our mind and heart. But God allows us these experiences somehow in his sovereign plan by his design and purposes to open our eyes to see that prodigalness in ourselves so that we can find our way back home. You know, our views change over the years. We gain perspective through the experiences we have. For example, intolerant people are now more patient. Um, 
bad drivers can really uh, bring out the road rage in us. Any fellow road ragers? Yes, I see that hand. <laughs> I think I'm a pretty good driving coach, and every day I go out on the road and I try to coach people on how to be better drivers. And I realize that this unnecessary stress about this other person can oftentimes be the unnecessary stress in someone else when I'm that guy. So a word to all of you guys or gals, don't be that guy on the road. Be a good driver and don't give them a reason uh, to uh, rage. So God grants us this perspective and we can be blessed by it to gain new perspective. In fact, through great or small changes, our lives can be transformed. Now, in the case of the prodigal, I find it interesting. It never really struck me before. Something as simple as hunger seemed to be part of the linchpin that turned everything around. He was starving. He was hungry. He's like, well, maybe I can go back home. I know the hired hands eat three squares a day. He was hungry, and it woke him up. I messed up. Probably can't go back as his son, but I'm going to apologize and try to make it right, and I'm going to take action. Convicted, convinced, compelled. Now, remember that woman at the well, as she was talking with Jesus, and he mentioned living water. She was utterly intrigued by the thought that she would never thirst again. This is the life we have in Christ. This is the life we have in his name, that we would be complete, satisfied, and joyful in the life that we share in and through him. So for us, there is this aha moment. There is this moment when we get it, when something clicks and God allows our minds to have clarity and the prodigal experienced that. Those extreme circumstances were involved. I mean. He was willing to eat pig slop. That's how bad it had gotten. He was at the bottom of the trough, if you will. And through that desire to eat with swine, his perspective changed. There's another story in Scripture that speaks of a king named Nebuchadnezzar who one evening strolled across the rooftop of his palace, bragging about all that he had done by his hands. Scripture tells that in that moment, while the words were still in his mouth, God humbled him, transformed him into some odd creature with feathers and claws, and he ate grass for seven years. And then there was a moment when he came to his senses. His mind cleared up. He lifted his eyes to heaven, repented, and God restored him into leadership. I suppose it's been true for any one of us that have gotten to that moment when we realized we really messed up. It was on us. It was the attitude of our hearts. It was that sinful state that drove us away. Spiritually blind, unable to see what needed to be seen and in order to understand what needed to be understood. And then in God's sovereignty, we're given clarity. And not by any act of our own, he allows it and works in our lives. 
He opens our eyes to comprehend that it was our sin that was the issue. It was our disobedience that was the cause. And our way back home was paved with grace and mercy. So when we wander off and take on these prodigal attitudes, God will use everything in his vast supply to get our attention so that we can make our way back. In Scripture, 1 John 5.12 says this, He who has the Son has the life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's tied to Jesus Christ, folks. Our prodigalness can be fixed only by one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And I can attest to those moments in worship services when I've gathered in a room with other believers and I've sung words on a screen that God used to pierce my heart, to wake me back up, to help me see again, to draw me back, to say, I am convicted of my sin. I am convinced of his love that is tied to his kingdom. And I'm compelled to act to make my way back to him and be brought in as his son. And in that moment, when what was lost is now found, what was dead is now alive, there is a great celebration. Martin Smith, the former uh, lead singer for a Christian band called Delirious, wrote these lyrics for Chris Tomlin just a few years ago. They go like this. I'm running back to you. You never stop loving us, no matter how far we run. You never give up on us. All of heaven shout, let the future begin. I feel alive. I come alive. I am alive on God's great dance floor. What joy comes when we come back home, when we repent and find that true joy and satisfaction in our Heavenly Father. You see, you are worth Jesus to God because that's what he paid for you to be free. And so to go back to Desperado for a moment, there's a line that says, why don't you let somebody love you before it's too late? I know a Heavenly Father who loves me so much that he was willing to sacrifice and part with his one and only son. And by putting my faith in what he did for me, I am free forever. That's the love I know from my Heavenly Father. That's the love that the Heavenly Father wants you to know. For every prodigal to know, there is a way back home. So even believers can wander off, true? True. But there's never a bad time to come clean and come back home. My guess is God has allowed you to experience some pretty difficult things. He can use that to pierce your heart, to shake up your mind, address that sinful state, and for you to take the steps to be compelled. And it's your surrender to God himself. And that conviction leads to convincing and being compelled to come home. Now, like I said, uh, four kids, our two older daughters are up and out of the house, but we still have two in the house, and, and I'm going to do a little demonstration to explain what it's like in my house these days.
So we have a 16-year-old son, our youngest, Parker. He just got his license. And about two and a half days after he got his license, and if you don't know my sons, they're taller than me by quite a bit. So I'm Parker. And he said, um, hey, Dad, I want to go pick up a pizza. Zach's at work. Can I use your car? And uh, that's what he sounds like when he talks, by the way. Um, and I immediately said, sure, no problem. And my wife turned to me and she goes, well, you're brave. So Parker took the car. Uh, he's known as Gigantor. Uh, then there's Zach. <laughs> Colossus. And, and I don't have the hair, but there's some hair there. Okay. A few months ago, he turned 18, and uh, he wanted to have a conversation with me. He's like, um... Yeah, and this is what he sounds like. Oh, so dad, <laughs> uh, dad, so I'm an adult now, and uh, I'd like to talk about the rules at the house, you know, about my curfew and, like, things I can do. And I slowly turned to him and made eye contact, like, you for real, son? You for real? I love you. Truth be told, Rachel and I have enjoyed the relationship that we have with all four of our kids. We have good communication, and we are so blessed with the kids we have. But, but now, especially with the boys, uh, you know, I used, I used to put them to bed, and now I'm in bed long before they're coming home. But some nights, I can't sleep. And so there I am looking out the window, or I'm looking at, find my son on my phone. Find my son. Oh, okay, he's on 270. Okay. 11 minutes out. Good. And just like that father who, and Scripture doesn't tell us this. Was it every day? Was it multiple times a day? He looked out on the horizon to see if his son would return. And day after day after day. And then there was that moment when his son was a long way off and he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. He hugged him, he kissed him. And the son was expecting to be chastised and rebuked. He was given a robe and a ring and a celebration for coming home. Even believers can be prodigal, and even our attitudes of our heart drift from God, and you're never too far from his love. And he is looking on that horizon for that day when you wake up and say, I got to make this right. I was wrong. And even though I have this much faith that his kingdom would say that somehow I can come home, I am convinced of his love. And I'm compelled to take action. There's a way back home. And in that moment of that celebration, the word here is kairos, and it's related to a joy that leads to action. It's a joy that compels us. It doesn't just sit there. This joy celebrates, it claps, it shouts, it dances with great gratitude. 
In Old Testament and New Testament culture, it was actually tied to the agricultural uh, uh, life and farming. Yeah, most of us would say, most of us would say, "No, I'm not a farmer. I don't do that. That's hard. That's messy. It's dirty. It's I don't want that." But if you consider all that goes into running a farm, all the work, all the steps, all the processes, and then that moment of harvest and great joy and celebration. It is a communal event and everyone partakes. This lost sheep, this lost coin, and this lost son ended in great celebration with everyone in the room. Make sure that that distinction is there. You saw in the video and you heard about two, but I'm here to tell you this past week, not two, four children heard the gospel presentation came forward and prayed to accept the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. And it says all of heaven rejoices in that life that was changed. So we need to celebrate that too. Praise God. You don't even know their names, but if you pray and ask God, God knows their names. Pray for those four children that the devil would not scoop them up and lead them astray that they would grow strong in their faith in the Lord Jesus. So as I close, maybe you've been that prodigal, and maybe you've had that prodigal attitude. There are parents in here that may have prodigal children. And I challenge you with the thought to keep your eyes on that horizon, to pray faithfully for those children, and to trust in the sovereign plan of God for their lives. You are responsible to and not for your kids. And I pray with you that they would come to know Jesus. So just like it took God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit to convict us and convince us and compel us, that same will be true of them. So when you said yes to Jesus, when those eyes, those spiritually blind eyes were opened and you saw the truth and you received it and you stepped into the light, there was a party going on. So I challenge you today to consider your prodigalness, but look beyond that to see the love that the Father has. This video will summarize what we've just discussed.
His son was a long way off. His father was filled with compassion and ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. That's the love that I know through my Heavenly Father. That's the love I trust that you would know, that I would pray that you would know by your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking that sinful state, that deathly state from us so that we might know life in your name. Thank you for your amazing love, your mercy, and your grace. Father, we don't like it, but convict us of our sin. Father, we don't see it, but convince us of your love. Father, we need your strength by the power of your Holy Spirit 
to compel us to action, to make our way back home to you. We bow before you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your amazing love for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day. God bless you all. You are dismissed. And I'm with you.